You're listening to a Military Life Media podcast. Hi, I'm Beth Rayner, and this is the Military Life Podcast Parents Edition, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, and supports the parents of military kids and ADF members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, valuing our stories, and sharing information. Let's do this together. There's everyday life, then there's a life in defence. There's nothing else quite like it. And for me, there's no other bank that understands this the way Defence Bank does. With products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses, 30 on-base branches across Australia and an award-winning banking app, they just get defence. But don't take my word for it. Others agree, in fact, they were recently awarded Defence Services Bank of the Year by WeMoney, a unique bank for a life like no other. Visit defencebank.com.au today to find out more. Welcome to the Military Life Podcast, Chrissy. Thank you, Beck. It's so uh, great to be here. Well, thanks for coming on. You have been with your husband, Brett, for 13 years. Can you tell me how you guys met? We actually got set up on a blind date from a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, one, one of my friends who I hadn't spoken to in a couple of years, he said, are you single? I think I've got a really great guy you to meet. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm open to that. Gav set us up on a date and the rest is history, really. We're inseparable. So when you met Brett, was he in defence, joining defence, had plans to have a career in defence? What was his situation? Yeah, he had been already a serving member for the previous 10 years and he'll be serving for, until retirement, yeah. That was always his plan. And so what did that mean for you when you were obviously getting set up with Brett and going into then a relationship with him? Did that play on your mind or did that factor in at all? Not not a hell of a lot at that time. I kind of, I don't know, I kind of lived moment to moment. So I was just meeting this great guy and, oh, that's a really cool job, defence. You know, I've had lots of family members, my father and uncle and grandfathers, all in military. So I was kind of open to a military life. I knew that they moved around a lot and, and whatnot. Yeah, it was, so it was just um, probably the love of a man in uniform as well, a little bit. <laughs> Do I just got swept away in in him really and and I didn't really kind of think about the repercussions of what our life would be like in in defense yeah so it wasn't like an initial oh in defense no um I'm I'm going to stay away from a relationship with someone who could potentially be away a lot or because sometimes we have some sort of understanding of what defense life is and what a defense member's job entails but that didn't sort of play into your mind at that stage. No, I, I didn't really know what the implications were or how long he would be away for or when or where we'd be moving. Or I didn't really factor in those things. I didn't know a lot about defence life when we got together. So no. when you did eventually get together and then it ended up being that, okay, we're going to be in a relationship when we're going to be together, what were your expectations of or did you have any expectations of what defence life would be like when you started to see yourself with Brett for the long term? Not not a lot. I knew that we'd have to move. He did mention that, that we'd be uprooted quite often, probably every three to six years kind of thing. So, you know, I was willing to go with the flow, absolutely. You know, having backpacked for five years by myself, just jetting around the, the globe, it was it's quite a nice lifestyle, going to different places and seeing how, how they are. So I guess that was quite appealing the defence life to go, oh, you you know, in three to five years or, or whatever, however 
long they're posted at a, at a squadron, like we have the possibility of moving state. And then there's so many opportunities that come with that as well, like meeting new friends and jobs and, and whatnot. So that kind of, that's appealing to me. That was a, a positive for Brett playing into the fact that you had just come off this five years of being transient and moving around and actually liking that lifestyle. So you're like, yeah, cool. I don't, yeah. I, I want to not know where I'm going to be and I want to meet new people and go to different places. Whereas some other people might have the mindset of actually, I don't want to go and I want to know where I'm going to be. And I, I don't want to leave my friends and family sort of thing. I think it's a, a nice way to, to live. For me, I mean, with children, it's a whole new ball game, and I'm sure we'll discuss that later on. And as you know yourself, being a mother, so it is a little bit harder when you get older, especially with children, because you've got to factor in their social lives and and their stability. So yeah, it has changed my mindset a little bit um, about moving and whatnot. And again, we'll probably discuss that soon because we're MWDU. <laughs> You're going into it with the excitement of actually this lifestyle seems like it's a great fit for me and where I'm at in life. And yeah, it's it's going to be an adventure. At what point did sort of defense life set in and you started to understand the various requirements of your partner's job and and what it actually means to live defence life and be a defence spouse? That would have to be when we moved, when I was pregnant with my first, Lily, and we got moved to Nowra from Sydney. Yeah, I gave birth three weeks after we got there with absolutely not knowing a soul and having no support whatsoever. And we just had no option to stay for another year and and or, or anything like that. It was like, well, you know, too bad. This is defense life. So that was a bit of a rude awakening and I should have expected it really. But I guess we were told that we were going to get another couple of years at Richmond, but then it was kind of revoked. So it, it was a bit of a rude shock. Uh, it was quite tough. So once you landed on your feet and moved from Sydney to a regional area and then just three weeks later gave birth to your first baby, which is huge in itself because you're going from thinking that you're going to be in one location and preparing to welcome your first baby. And that's a huge transition in, in itself. How did you find your feet once you had had your baby and settled into your new location? Like, what do you even do? Like, you like, okay, well, how do I make friends? Like, what, what do I do to actually create a life for myself in this new location that I didn't realize that we would be in and with this new baby? Oh, it was quite tough. Luckily, I, I found a mother's group very early on and I made some good friends from there and I also had a look for different little groups that my daughter could go to so mainly music and rhyme time at the library so I basically just had something on each day just to just to get out of the house and try and make meet people and make friends because it was it was super tough not having a clue what I was doing and and not knowing a soul or having any support at all so it was it was really rough we we got through it just by putting one foot in front of the other and getting out there and just putting ourselves yeah out, out there basically and actively trying to meet new mothers and try and form a connection as quickly as we could but mother's group was fantastic for that did that then set the bar for any other challenges or living defense life into the future like okay well if I can move three weeks before having my first baby to a location I didn't know I was going to and it all worked out then this will be okay or I can cope with this or I can get through this challenge 100% that's one of our family mottos kind of thing my husband and I are always talking about that like we've been through so much we can get through it as a family we can get through it it's fine nothing gets thrown in our way is a problem we just you know it's your attitude and the way you look at things so I think that's what's got us to where we 
are today kind of as a as a really close little family it's just like no we're fine we can do this it's only a small problem as I mentioned before we're pretty resilient and I think that's just from what I think defense life has made us that way because we kind of have to be resilient to be a defense family in, in many respects. What does your defense person actually do and does it take him away a lot is he home does he go and exercises what does his job entail yes so my husband's in the rough uh when he was with the fighter units here at williamtown he was away quite a bit and he also worked down an hour with the navy for six years and he was away also a little bit there but now he's at richmond and he's with the hercs and he's not away at all basically just goes on course for, I think he's got two or three courses this year and and that's it. And they're just a week at a time kind of thing. Yeah. So he's, he's not away at all this year. And I think you mentioned that your ADF member is planning on staying in until retirement, basically. So the plan for ADF life was a long-term plan. How did you going into relationship with your ADF member and your goals for your family and, and what you both wanted to achieve in life? How did ADF and ADF life and, and your partner being in the Defence Force for his whole career factor in for you guys? Was that something that you were happy about it being a long-term plan or did you have conversations about that? He was always planning on staying till retirement. I did own a, a business in Sydney at the time and I didn't really know the implications of kind of moving because we we're in you know a little bubble and just kind of thought oh no, this is a great lifestyle we love it here in Sydney and and then the next minute oh you're moving to Nara on very short notice in terms of my business and my career goals they were stunted and at that stage I was already heavily pregnant and just about to give birth so at that stage also I wanted to be a stay-at-home mother and we could think about re-establishing a career for me later on down the track after children kind of thing. And so how did that go with balancing defence life, kids, and then the requirements of your ADF members' job with then your career? How has that worked? Yes, moving to Nara kind of killed my little business, unfortunately, but being a new mother, that was my new priority. And we always said, look, I'll be a stay-at-home mother until our daughter or any more children kind of go to school. I really wanted to be there for, for them. And with Brett being away all the time and with no support whatsoever, I had no choice really. And it was fine with me. I enjoyed being a stay-at-home mother and, and looking after and holding the, the fort down, so to speak. Now, after having our second child, Oliver, he is autistic, so level two with a mild intellectual disability. And that kind of put um, the brakes on any kind of career again, just needing him needing support. Like at one stage, it was four appointments a week on various days and ferrying him to and from. So actually was a stay-at-home mother for nine years in total. And it was only been the last two years that I've started in a different career now. So I'm a support worker, disability support worker. And it's great to have that independence, but again, I only work part-time so I can still be there for my children. And when Brett, if he does need to go away for extended times, I still have that flexibility to be able to be there for my children. Because again, we don't have any that family support around here. So great that you've been able to get back into work and find employment that you find meaningful and that works in with your ADF members career, the requirements of looking after the care of the, the kids. And also now with, as you mentioned, you and your defence member now being Currently, MWDU, which for those that don't know what MWDU means, living apart from each other. So your defence member has posted to his next location and you guys have stayed put. Can you talk us through your decision to 
live apart and go MWDU? Well, we never, ever wanted to go MWDU. That was the last thing we wanted was our little family to be split apart. But in the end, we had no option in regards to, again, it was at short notice that it got posted out to Richmond. And with the defence liaison education liaison officer and and also the special needs defence group, I asked for a lot of help and got nothing back at all after emails and phone calls to try and get some help in trying to find a multi-cat class, an MC class for my son. He can't go into mainstream just with the, the level of care that he requires. And I got an email back saying, oh, just ring up the Department of Education. So that's something that I could have done anyway and what was going to do. So I rang up the Department of Education and, and they said, look, there's no support classes down in Richmond at the moment available until next year, possibly. But he also needs a lot of support through speech pathology, occupational therapy and psychology. Also, a uh, cold called four different places and none of their books were open and the wait list was at least 18 months. So that was our decision made for us because I can't just send my son into a school mainstream and without any support whatsoever. So we made the decision as a family that would stay here and would see out my eldest daughter's in year five this year, would see till she was at least into year six and in, ready to go to high school. But then we thought about it a little more and we thought well, we may as well stay put until the kids finish high school here. At least they'll be with friends that they have that support system. And Brett is more than happy to commute back and forward. I know it's not ideal, but it, it for the kids' stability and particularly Ollie, who needs a lot of support, it's the best option for him and, and best option for our family at the moment. You're making the best of the situation and like you said, you're making it work. You made that decision because it's the best for everyone involved, but it doesn't make it any easier with the fact that your hands are basically tied, that the decision is kind of taken out of your hands because you can't go into moving your family to your defence member's location, even if you wanted to, because it just would be detrimental to one of your children and the option of being MWDU is still a good fit for your other child who, like you said, will finish out year six in the same school, but then also go on to high school. But that's a huge decision to have to make. Oh, it is. It is. Every single time I speak to my husband on a weekend, I always think, are we doing the right thing here? And I know, I know deep down we are because we have to think about our children, particularly our youngest who needs so much support. Look, if we didn't have children, it would be a no brainer. I'd be with him there in a second. And I would always be able to find a, a job or like I don't worry about myself so much I don't mind about moving but yeah it's when you've got children it's you really have to think about them and it, it is really awful because they really miss their dad but it is the best thing for them to stay here as well and they know that they appreciate that what we're doing as well yeah but it doesn't make it easier yes you've made the best decision for everyone involved doesn't necessarily mean it's the decision that you you want to make but it's the decision that is best for everyone but it doesn't make it easier no this kind of decision we had to make we didn't really have an option there in in many ways you've obviously after thinking about it decided that we won't move at the end of next year we will for an extended period stay port because you know you've got the supports and the networks and everything is basically sorted and you can do it because your defence member is in a location where he can travel back and you are able to see each other regularly. But yeah. if, it, if it was the case where you thought, okay, we'll give it another year because we need that time to set up the supports for your son and get onto waiting lists and, and get into those supports and services. What kind of process would it be and would it even work 
in the fact that with even a year and a half's notice to to move, would that still work for your family or is that option still even not on the table? We've kind of now really come to the the conclusion that we will keep our daughter, uh, our children, but my daughter going to high school in another two years, we thought, no, that's probably the best thing for her to just stay here. At least we'll have friends. And and she's been squad swimming a few afternoons a week. So she's a really good little up and coming swimmer and she's got a coach and she loves her little swim team and whatnot. And she would really, really miss that. And she's kind of a shy child. So I think this gives her a hell of a lot of confidence just to be in these little groups and to uproot her, especially at a vulnerable age when she's a preteen or teenager when she's going into year seven. I think that would be a little detrimental to her development, possibly. I'm not sure. I don't know. I think defence kids kind of sink or swim, and, and I'd like to think that mine would both swim. But yeah. if, if it's a decision that we can stay here, then then I think we'll we'll just stay port. The juice isn't worth the squeeze to try and get all the services in place. It's like trying to align all the planets. But what would it look like if you had made the decision to, okay, well, we can't go when my husband moves because it's just not feasible because there's closed books and there's waiting lists and we're we're sort of all sorted down here. But if it was the case where just picture the fact that, okay, well, we're going to go at the end of next year we'll meet him at his location. If that was the case, what would that actually look like for getting on the books, I guess, of all of the supports that your son needs and sort of sorting that and making sure he had a place at a school that was going to work for him and and meet him where he's at and provide for his needs? What would that look like? Would that even work out in the fact that if you were to go on to someone's books and you happened to get an appointment but you weren't in location yet you would then go to the bottom of the list like how does it sort of work in that sense I have been on the list for the last since we've found out and that was a year ago now and and not one service has contacted me so it's still closed books there I just I just wouldn't do it to Ollie I, I just couldn't send him we couldn't move to a location without those supports and I guess it's just a hell of a lot of work for me which is fine absolutely fine just ringing and and saying look do you have spots do you have spots constantly there's a hell of a lot of work and also just getting him into an MC class because he, he can't be play he can't be just enrolled into a school like a, a, a neurotypical child in mainstream children with special needs have to be placed by the Department of Education and it and it could be a 20 kilometer or 30 kilometer radius from your house kind of thing it's wherever they've got the spots in in various schools so we can't even guarantee what school he'll go to so it would to try and juggle him to get into school and also all the therapists that he needs the three kinds of therapists it would be a christmas miracle to align all those factors up yeah and that's not even factoring or working in the fact that you wouldn't necessarily know where your dha house would be if you're going to go into dha housing and yeah oh yeah it's incredible and we had a look at the the home find because you know there was a stage there where we we thought all right yes of course we're going to go with you you know this is initially thinking oh it's richmond it's greater sydney they'll have heaps of supports and heaps of uh, nc classes available to you and there wasn't any defence houses in Richmond that we could see. They were kind of out of 30 k's away from the base already. And there's only one MC class in Richmond itself. <laughs> so we're like, oh, wow. So there was kind of limited services almost. This is obviously something that lots of defence families experience and, you know, not all of them are necessarily choosing MWDU. Some of them are 
needing to go with their defence member for various reasons and, and can't stay in location and do MWDU. Aside from the fact of having to make the decision to stay put and be apart from your defence member or move with the defence member and then have that added stress of finding new services if they're even available and having that weight on your shoulders. The alternate for you has now been that you've chosen MWDU and you're okay with that decision and you guys are making it work. But the added layer of that is now that you are solo parenting and you have a child with additional needs. And although it works for your family to stay in location, that's also a lot on your shoulders. It's a hell of a lot on my shoulders. Absolutely. I feel like I've been doing this looking after the kids and when Brett was away a hell of a lot when he was down in Richmond and here at this squadron in Williamtown, he was away quite a lot. So I felt like I've kind of been primed as a single parent for quite a while now and I can juggle it all right. And I'm very fortunate with my work as well that I'm only working two to three days a week and that's beautiful for me and they allow me to work between school hours so I can drop them off in the morning and pick them off in the pick them up in the afternoon so I am fortunate that I've got a great work-life balance where I'm able to not stretch myself so far that it's I, I know that I have to fill my bucket since I'm doing it alone and I have to upkeep the house and make sure the kids are mentally and physically happy as well so it is a hell of a lot of work but I feel that I've been doing it for quite a while anyway, being a defence partner. When you were looking into posting and you were looking into those services that you mentioned that are, are there to provide support and help you make that transition and I guess the additional information that's available for your family and things like that, how did you go about accessing or finding out what extra supports there were to help you find a place, for instance, for your son or to help with the schooling side or the, the support services? What did you initially do to find out what was available? And then aside from what you mentioned, what was available to you to help you with that possible transition to post with your partner? With these therapies, I I knew that I had to organise that myself. So that was just ringing up, literally Googling places in Richmond and surrounding areas and, and giving, as I mentioned, I found four different places in Richmond and I just called them and, and asked and asked when their weight lifts and, and whatnot. Otherwise, with schooling, with the help with their education, I contacted DMFS and we asked who the education liaison officer was and they said, oh, yes, this is so-and-so and they'll be able to help you organise an MC class or certainly put you in contact with a school that has an MC class etc. So I rang up the education liaison officer and I got an email back saying, oh no, they quit, someone else now. So I rang them and they said, oh look, you just have to call the Department of Education yourself. So there was actually no support there at all. It was just, I could have literally done that myself, which I was going to do. So I was just kind of cutting out the middleman. And then I, I, they didn't do anything. There was no support there at all. It was me contacting Department of Education and asking about the MC classes in the area. Like, oh, for heaven's sakes, what, what are you there for then? I guess the underlying challenge of that and issue with that is that defence families, whether they have additional needs or whatever the the challenges or supports and services that they are wanting to access from post to post, don't get any sort of priority. And those lists are long for civilian families and and for for people that have been in the location for however long we're not asking that 
we should be put in front of them. But the the fact remains is that you could have posted with your husband and have then posted out without even getting to the top of those waiting lists. So people are then missing out on those supports and services at the different locations. No, I even mentioned, look, we're a defence family. I don't know how long we'll be there and what we'll be posting in. And and they said, oh, we have defence families here. But it was, that, was the, that was the be and end all of it kind of thing. It wasn't like, oh, we prioritise defence or anything. So it was basically the same as civilian families. Yeah, and that obviously then factors in with individual families' decisions to, you know, if you're calling up and they're saying, well, actually we don't have a spot at a school for your child that's going to suit, that sort of makes the decision for you kind of thing because how can you, like you mentioned, knowingly and willingly uproot your family and your kids and go to a location where they're going to be worse off? Yeah, oh, 100%. And the lady who I spoke to from the Department of Education said, oh, how about you try him in mainstream? I thought, oh, sweet heavens, no way. He would fall through the cracks. And she said, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got you on that one. There's no way. I can't in good conscience put him in mainstream. And he'll just, no, he'll sink. He needs that support of an MC class. That drove the decision of, okay, we have to stay put. But then how, how does oh, that Lord. leave you feeling with all the you know decisions you have to make and, and the research you then have to do and the legwork that you have to put in, how does that make you feel when the people that you're going to for support and advice and connections to support and services are offering solutions that they should know are not going to work? Yeah, yeah I know. It doesn't give you much faith, does it? Yeah, exactly. Because then are you likely to now reach out for support or services from these people again? Like if they can't help you with something that is this important. They just don't know the gravity of the situation. You're like, no, my, my son has this, this is his diagnosis. He can't be put in here and he needs these additional supports that I don't expect them to figure out for me. I have to do that for myself, like OT, because that's external to the school system kind of thing. But they should know, surely. So I, I definitely won't be using the Defence Education Liaison Officer. That, that was just so disappointing. It was like, come on, like, you just gave me the number of the Department of Education. Like anyone can research that and do that. So what exactly do you guys do then? Like you mentioned, you don't expect them to figure it all out for you, but no, you do expect no, that they are, if they their specific job is to help with this area of defence life or it's make it easier SMEs, aren't they? Yeah, for you, but that's not actually happening. But then the people that defence, even like your your husband's command team and, and the people that are around you are then thinking, oh, but you have all this extra support or you have this person to call on or you can have them help you with this, but then those all lead to dead ends and actually it's all on your shoulders. So the gravity, yeah. like you said, of the situation actually isn't understood and the fact yeah. that those supports and services are not helping you in the ways that they need to be helping you. I just don't even know what my expectations are of what they're going to do. But at least, you know, instead of me doing all the legwork for finding therapists, like Defence Special Needs Group, like, you know, do you have numbers of in location of speech and OT and psychologists or, or whatever? I even asked the first time we here, I said, oh, can I please have um, a list of pediatricians in the area when we first moved in? And I was told, oh, we don't, we can't be biased and, and give you names. I'm like, what? I need help. I, I'm asking for help here of just asking for pediatricians, like any in the area, they'll be fine. And I was given a flat no. And honest. you would assume that this is something that 
each family that experiences these challenges are going up against and these are the questions that they're asking and these are the things that they're asking for help with but then basic things as well like when you've got a child with special needs you need to make sure they've they've got services available to them whether it be speech or psych or ot or whatever it is most of the children with special needs have some kind of therapist so when you move into location you kind of like okay instead of doing all the legwork and whatnot have a list of of services available and say here's some phone numbers you can you can call them even that little bit of help would have been lovely or recommendations oh a lot of defense families think this ot is really good or just little things like that would be wonderful and this is not just a problem that you you're just suddenly experiencing like other people have experienced this so it's like at what point does it get to the stage where okay well let's review what's actually on offer and the support that's being given and compare it with what families actually need and some actual practical supports that are actually going to take some of those challenges off their shoulders because like you said you're not expecting them to fix it for you but it would have been great to just get a list so you could go through one by one instead of having to google like you know pediatricians or you know trying to do all that legwork when realistically there are other families that have then gone and done this as well so it's like you're all sort of like reinventing the wheel every time keeping all of that in mind and the fact that you had come to the decision that mwdu was going to work for your family and that i guess also then takes a little bit of weight off your shoulders in regard to okay well we've got a plan we've got a decision and we're going to make the best of it and we're going to make it work for our family how has mwdu been going and and is it what you expected is it better worse how's it been going it's actually been really good we see my husband every friday night he'll get home and then leave sunday night and it's always sad him leaving sunday nights we're like oh we don't get to see you till friday night and that's always a little bit of a downer but you know we're all so busy during the week that the weeks go incredibly fast and when he was working he was getting up at crack of dawn and coming home late at night so the kids didn't really get to see him a hell of a lot at night time we're trying to make it a positive experience and we've just got our mind around like it's fine and we can get through this and daddy used to be away a, a lot so not really different to that kind of thing and when we go and visit him in his location we go and make the house feel a, a little bit homely and the kids have a little room and they've set it up and so they, they enjoy doing that and they enjoy having what they call a holiday house it's far from a holiday house but you know his apartment we've, we've made it a positive experience just and that's just because we're quite positive people and we certainly don't want to put any kind of anxiety or sadness onto the kids as well because they certainly don't need it particularly my son, who does get quite upset every Sunday night. So we just try and make it like, oh, yeah, let's go and visit Daddy in Richmond this weekend or, you know, and make it sound like almost like a mini holiday. And and they love that. So we're, we're just trying to do our best to keep it on the up and up, really. Is there anything that you do now that your husband is away during the week to, you've mentioned that, you you know, everyone's busy and you kind of get in your routines and you get into that groove and before you know it, it's the end of the week again. But how do you help your kids stay connected with your husband during the week like do you do FaceTime like what have you sort of uh, implemented to make sure that they still stay connected Brett and I talk every day and then we'll pass the phone around the kids will will talk to him most days of the week they don't feel like they're missing him as such when they get to speak to him every day even though they can't physically give him a cuddle or anything they're chatting to him and he's asking about their day and whatnot so that they seem quite happy they don't they don't see anxious or like they're struggling at all and so so you guys have lots of outside of school stuff and therapy appointments and different you know commitments during the week that keep you busy how has your husband been going on the other end where he's up there solo but how is he finding it being without you guys he finds it quite tough 
I mean, he absolutely loves weekends and just hanging out, the four of us and our dog. So we're very close, but he also um, works incredibly hard and has his own hobbies and friends and whatnot. So look, he, I think he's enjoying it, to be honest. <laughs> and that's fine. I'm glad that he's enjoying the time away and he gets to do his hobbies and, and whatnot and working out and, and all that kind of stuff, which he kind of couldn't all fit in together when we're living here because he was commuting for so long because he rode his bike. And, but he's kind of found his groove there. And I think he actually really likes it, to be honest. And what about with regard to when your husband is home and he comes home you've still got a household to run you've still got extracurricular things that probably happen over the weekends and you guys have got your life that's happening and he's coming back into that for the weekend how do you ensure that you are I guess making time for connecting as a family but then also as a couple how do you make the most of your time on the weekends together Friday afternoon is usually when he gets home Friday afternoon, Friday night, we always have a little cheese platter and the kids love that too. And we'll watch recordings of Lego Masters or something, something the kids absolutely love. And it's so nice to see him loving that kind of, I I really like Lego Masters too. So we all just sit there and and have a little cheese platter and that's our little family connect time. And it's really lovely. And usually on, on the rest of the weekends, we we kind of we do actually find time to do uh, one-on-one times like my husband will take Ollie my little son with the remote control cars and they'll go and have a bit of fun and and then he'll sit down and watch Harry, Harry Potter with my daughter or something like that so they he has that one-on-one time and then of course when they go to bed like we'll watch shows or have a drink or or, or, or whatever I don't know we, we always seem to find a, a carve out a bit of time for ourselves as well there but we he's, we're just kind of making the most of it and he, he wants to spend time with just our son and then just our daughter and obviously just me and then all together as a family so we kind of have found that little groove on weekends I don't know how we do it because it just seems to go so incredibly fast but yeah we do (laughs) so you've mentioned that this will be for eight years how do you know it will be for eight years has your husband already been told that he will get a back-to-back posting where he is or how how are you sort of planning the years ahead and how do you know sort of what's to come so far ahead? He, he was told that it was an eight-year posting. He had a, a choice between Richmond and Holsworthy and they said it's an eight-year posting. So okay. that's quite unusual. It's quite a long posting. So we just, yeah, we thought, all right, then we can plan. My daughter's in year five, so we can plan her to finish primary school, then high school here. At the moment, it's going great. It, it is still very new though. And you mentioned that you don't go to open arms or have any support mental health wise but what do you do generally on a day-to-day basis just to look after your mental health because obviously you've got a lot on your shoulders you're mwdu you're got to be organized you're solo you got to make sure that you are okay and able to care for the kids and keep everything going what do you do to help your mental health oh i work out like a crazy woman <laughs> i love weights and exercise and walking I'm quite hyperactive sometimes so I think that helps like a big long walk in the bush with my dog in the morning is wonderful that's good to kind of unravel your thoughts a little bit and doing weights oh that's a game changer that's all stress out that does (laughs) so that's what that's what I do I have been doing that for many many years I mean it's great that you have acknowledged that that's something that helps you and you've you make sure that you incorporate that into your day or into your week so that you know you can stay on top of things because sometimes stuff like that does slip away when you are juggling everything yourself and having that balance because realizing that making time for yourself and doing those things that and investing in those things actually helps you in the long run oh yeah and and it's good that i am only working two to three days a week which was my choice and and also brett he said look it's great that you're back in the workforce but don't burn candle at both ends kind of thing so i, I have a great work life balance where i am able to keep 
active every single day and get the house clean and look after the kids and do all their activities. And it seems overwhelming and, and like there's I've got a lot on my plate, but I guess if I keep on top of all these things and it makes me feel good just to achieve them at the end of the day. So look, I'm fairly organized. I'm someone who does a Christmas shopping in July and has it already wrapped up by August. So <laughs> I don't know. I, I just try and make sure that if I've got an event planned or whatever, I'm just organizing well in advance. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Chrissy, and telling us your story about your MWDU journey and your plans ahead and how you're making sure that everyone's cups are filled and everyone is supported with the best decision that you've been able to make for your family and making it work for your family. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 